Willem, welcome to episode number one of the um, almost uh, very popular Wimlex podcast here in Amsterdam. Thank you so much, Alexander, and great to have you in Amsterdam today. Thanks, actually, for the Rooms here at the Debt Agency. Though maybe I can give our uh, first listeners a little bit background um, how it came to the Wimlex podcast uh, um, before we introduce ourselves uh, to the audience. Uh, so I'm running a podcasting show in Germany called Kassenzone.de with uh, German guests and German speakers. It's all about e-commerce, uh, um, uh, retail and digitization. And when we sat together here in your agency, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were discussing, okay, what would be the best way to interact with our audience and with the Benelux and UK and Nordic market. And then we decided, okay, it could be cool to have such a show uh, in uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, um, and uh, that's how we created the Wimlex show. And I think we're going to tell the listeners later on uh, how we came up uh, with a name. Before that, um, I would like you to introduce yourself, uh, uh, what you've done and uh, what you would like to ask um, our future guests as questions. Thank you so much, Alexander. Yeah, so great to be uh, hosting the Wimlex show together with you. Uh, you've uh, have a very good reputation in Germany with Kassenzone, obviously. Uh, maybe for the listeners who don't know me yet, my name is Willem Blom. I'm the founder of a digital marketing agency here in the Netherlands called Expand Online. Founded in 2008 from my living room, together with three fellow uh, friends that I know from university. And we've grown very rapidly in the Netherlands. We've grown up to about 100 people. And then we were approached by TomTom. Uh, TomTom Tom. Tom Tom is a digital agency here in the Netherlands, founded by Paul and Bart, two brothers. TomTom Tom is so. Uh, are are this the same brand they are pushing like this navigation system? It's well, actually, it's pretty similar in name, but uh, they do different things. So they are focusing on building platforms, websites, apps, and other digital interaction um, items. So what we did is we uh, actually uh, merged with TomTom. And uh, became the foundation of Debt. And my role in Debt uh, today is I'm responsible for all our data services. And that's also an important topic that I would love to bring to the Wim Lexio. So I would love to engage with our future guests on the topic of data. How data is driving their decision making within their companies. And how um, they're um, aggregating data and making sure that they make the right use of data. And besides that... An important topic for me has always been um, working with the right talent and finding the right talents uh, within uh, my company. And I'm very curious, especially since uh, the marketplace uh, for digital uh, specialists is getting crowded, how those, those successful entrepreneurs are finding and nurturing talent. So um, for you listeners, those will be the topics that I would love to zoom in uh, for the future guests. So your company was founded in the same year when Kassenzone uh, was founded, actually, in nice. 2008. And Zalando, though all the successful businesses have been founded uh, in 2008. <laughs> and if is, this is like the, 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 the source uh, of debt, then debt is all founded in 2008. <laughs> the name came later. Um, name came later. Maybe can you, can you elaborate a little bit on um, how the e-commerce market looked like in 2008 when you founded your company? The e-commerce market in Germany was already very developed uh, yes. in 2008. 2008, um, Zalando 
uh, entered the scene and, exactly. and really turned around old strategies uh, regards to online marketing and yes. TV marketing. I think that's going to something we're going to deep dive with our guests. So can you can you tell us a little bit how how it was? here in uh, how it was like here in the Netherlands? Yeah, so what we saw in the Netherlands back in 2008 is that the e-commerce landscape was developing. Uh, I wouldn't say it was developed, but it was growing very rapidly. Um, and what we saw is that there were a lot of smaller pure players that came to the market a couple of years earlier that um, grown that have grown rapidly. Um, pure players like Bull.com, CoolBlue, uh, but also players that come from a different market background, like uh, Vacom. How big was Bull.com back at the time? Was it, you know that? Uh, I think maybe half a million in uh, turnover, maybe smaller even, mm -hmm. a couple of hundred millions. So they they were well relatively small uh, back then. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they've they've obviously grown rapidly. But what we've seen since 2008, and what has been very interesting for me, is that back in 2008 we had pure player ecom. Uh, companies and the uh, brick and mortar stores mm -hmm. and what we see to date is that those pure player ecom um, specialists have ventured out to uh, main street and that main street has actually ventured into e-commerce or purchased pure player ecom players like uh, ball.com uh, which was acquired by out so you see that those two worlds came together and back in 2008 we were purely focusing on with Google or, uh, well, Facebook was still small at that time, but mostly with Google, driving the right traffic to a site and then converting on that site. Whereas today, we're looking at a full omnichannel spectrum and looking at how uh, website traffic is driving sales in-store or how um, other offline activities are driving sales in-shop. So you see that that has really um, changed tremendously compared to back uh, to 2008 and um, and maybe one uh, one question from from my perspective because I, I'm not a big believer in, in omni-channel and we will uh, deep dive into <laughs> that with uh, with a couple of uh, with a couple of guests because I, I, I what I've learned is that omni-channel is like it's like preventing pure play businesses to really prosper uh, and they haven't seen like an uh, um, brick and mortar based business uh, being successful in getting customers back from the bowl.com likes or from the Zalando's or Amazon's. Um, is, is that here in uh, the Netherlands still, an, um, uh, still um, a thinking that uh, it's possible to get customers back or to win like the, the customer, uh, um, uh, the customer acquisition competition by pushing out omni-channel strategies? Well, I, I, th I think it is. Um, look, if, if you um, see the Dutch market, it's, it's obviously small um, in, in terms of geographical size. And um, we see that people are um, yeah, usually close to, to, to retail streets as well. And what you will see is that, that although the Dutch econ market is growing very rapidly, it's still maybe only 10 or 15 percent of the total uh, um, retail spend in the Netherlands. And I think if, if you if you look at um, types of products like shoes, if you're uh, buying shoes online, then the return rate is very high. So if you're a shoe retailer, it makes a lot of sense to drive people to your stores as well because they can fit the shoe and see um, if, if it looks well and fits them well. And then um, if that's the case, the returns will be much lower compared to a transaction on a, on a shopping site. So I think it depends on the type of products that you sell, but especially for products with high returns, it does make a lot of sense uh, with a good 
data strategy, of course, because you need to uh, find out who the persons are that are buying in your store and then also interacting with your brand online. But for, for products that have high returns, it, for me, makes a lot of sense to, uh, to also look at, a, at an omni-channel strategy. Yeah, my, my take on this uh, would be that even if this is right, so even if you can reduce return rates by having a, let's, let's take the shoe case, by having a proper omni-channel uh, uh, um, set up in, uh, in this case where you know the customer is entering the store, what kind of shoes he bought online and offering him like a tailored um, brick-and-mortar experience. What we are seeing is that those projects are so complex and uh, brick-and-mortar, um, so rent and paying the personnel is so expensive. Um, even if it makes sense, um, the pure play companies that stay pure play and evolved more into a marketplace kind of structure, yes. for example, or in a in other services models like an Amazon or Zalando is pushing right now. This seems to be more successful uh, in uh, in the Western world, which I would count in the Netherlands um, also. So, uh, which would let me like to uh, to follow up questions. So what is like the percentages um, of uh, popular categories um, in terms of um, online share? So, is there like more than 20% of shoes already sold online in the Netherlands or 20% of fashion? Those are the rates we are, we are seeing in the German market. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know exactly the rates, but I'm, I'm To my recollection, they're, they're maybe even higher than the 20% you refer to. And, of course, there are a lot of mm. pure player um, parties active in the market that are really focusing on driving those sales online and also uh, managing the client relationship fully online. Um, my take on it is, is that there are a lot of strong retail players that also need to develop a strategy. And that was also one of my questions to you um, because we've seen a lot of... Um, Uh, bankruptcies here in the Netherlands from uh, big retailers like V&D or um, fashion brands like McGregor. Where, where's V&D? V&D assortment? It, it, they had a, a broad assortment. It's, it's like a Macy's that, okay. that sold all, all kinds of products. It's a warehouse, uh, as, as we would call it. And I think for those companies, um, developing a good omni-channel strategy is, is the only way to survive. And, of course, if you refer to the Zalandos or the Amazons that have started from an online background, it, it, it makes a lot of sense that their core focus mm. is on, on driving those, those digital sales. But, but for those companies that don't want to be the next V&D or McGregor, they need to develop a strategy that has a digital in their core, but um, uh, also take into account the, the, the retail network they have. So, so what's your view on them, on, on those, those, those retailers that need to become e-tailers? Yeah, maybe, maybe I, I, I give you like a brief brief uh, summary on my background. Yes. And, and then um, I, will, I will try to take this question because I, I think we are not like 100% aligned in, 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 in this strategy. But this is, uh, gives us like a nice spectrum for questions for our guests. So I've started a company um, called The Auto Group in uh, Germany at, as a corporate career. And uh, in 2005, the auto group was claiming um, to be the biggest multi-channel retailing company in the world. And um, multi-channel, omni-channel uh, um, was like the model, the winning model, more or less, from a strategic perspective. And we tried a lot of things with the auto group brands and um, uh, tried to um, refactor like the auto platform. It was on a legacy intershop uh, uh, platform and really slow. And then they tried to build their own stuff. And... They, uh, um, they have not been very successful by uh, 
trying to refactor their own brands. They have been success successful recently uh, in putting a lot of money in a brand called About You, which is also yes, active in, yeah. in the Netherlands, and uh, um, which is uh, which is kind of a greenfield um, uh, greenfield uh, try to compete with Amazon, ASOS, and the other companies, and that really really influenced my thinking because um, um, I was um, involved in the um, About You Foundation because in 2011 I left the Otto Group um, to join a company called Net Impact, an agency like your agency was. Um, we built a lot of stuff. We found a lot of companies, uh, one of the biggest shopware companies called NetShops, um, an agency in Germany, a, a very big digital consultancy where we helped a lot of brands, manufacturers, retailers, which is uh, uh, now uh, becoming the biggest digital consultancy in Germany called eTribes. Um, and, uh, and one of our incubation projects was about you, where our um, co-founder, Tarek Müller, joined then the Otto Group uh, and a part of our uh, the Net Impact Agency team. Uh, um, and um, in 2014... And 2013, when we did a lot of these uh, incubation and consultancy projects, lots of companies had learned that their transformation projects had been too slow, um, that they, even if everybody was convinced, the CEO, the people, all board members were convinced of like transformation, it was too slow. And there was no real way to... Um, to transform a legacy company, to transform a company that was like a former shoemaker, to transform a company that was like a B2B manufacturer. And it became more and more clear with the About You case and with other cases um, that the only way to transform companies is to, uh, to bet on uh, legacy-free ventures where you don't have to transform people, where you don't have to transform business models. Um, and, and this has reasons in many ways. And this was the reason why we founded um, the software company Spryker uh, because lots of customers ask us for a cheaper demandware or a better Magento or a better hybrid uh, or something they could use and just integrate in their IT departments. Um, but we've learned that the only successful companies, should it be Zalando, should it be, uh, should it be Picnic, should it be Okado, should it, should it be About You, had been companies that really in-house IT uh, um, capabilities and explained their USP through better, uh, better IT capabilities because it's not about selling better uh, shirts anymore. It's about selling better. And this <laughs> selling better, and that is actually the, what would have been the answers for VPN, the selling better has nothing to do with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with legacy strengths uh, like opening new brick and mortar stores or uh, changing like the ceiling or the lightning in in, yeah. uh, in the store. It's about having like uh, better personalization capabilities, having a better CRM, um, having uh, a better product data online, having like uh, better tracking, having um, do everything to create a better customer experience. And that's something where you need to be better than the rest of the market. It might be two percent, five percent, ten percent better. That's something you can't buy off the shelf. And now the problem is, like, even for big retailing companies, uh, and, and you name a few here in Holland, the problem is that, of course, they are asking, how can we compete with the new ones? And I think even Zalando is entering the market um, with, with, with a very fast pace. And there is no easy answer to this. There's, there's no standard strategy. But what we know is it's all about the modus operandi. They need to find a mode where they are able to push strategies that are not secure, 
and that is so they need to take like 10%, 20%, 30% of their revenue in strategies where they don't know if this if there's going to be ever a payback in the future and they most probably need to invest much more on IT and IT capabilities than they had before and that can't be done by just taking the former um head administrator of the IT system and rename him to CTO or CAO and say, okay, now let's play a little bit Zalando. That's, oh, and then it's got, that can only be done in, in very, very radical moves. And so my answer would be omni-channel or um, strategies that are implemented to reinvent the legacy business models might be looking nice on paper, And there might be cases, even for customers, uh, um, that purchase a shoe online and bring him back in in, in, in brick-and-mortar environment. Um, But implementing those strategies take so long and they are so unsecure and usually they are only serving like 5% or 10% of the potential customers. It's much easier and much more promising to put your money in more risky Greenfield strategies, and um, that is a very, very. Then do you do you, do you believe that um, innovation um, itself and 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 uh, improving a business model is is a um, uh, or let me say incremental innovation? So the 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 the, the business model of say the Bijenkorf here in the Netherlands, yeah. it's 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 a large uh, uh, retailer uh, mm. warehouse. What they've done is, and I think that was a very good strategy. They they've said, okay. Um, we see uh, the interest of dig- digital and we see that our clients are requesting our products online. So we need to develop a shop. We need to develop a very good one-to-one communication strategy with our clients. We need to develop um, um, content uh, for our digital assets. We need to develop a data program. Um, so they've, they've done all these assets, but I think for them, that's all done from their um, their, their core business model, which was... Um, selling uh, a large array of products, mostly clothes. Um, do, do you then think, as 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 the Bijenkorf has done here in the Netherlands, that that strategy was an exception, or or do you believe that um, incremental innovation and improving um, a current business model is is uh, yeah dependent on what your background is is still a strategy to pursue? For example, w- w- would you recommend? Uh, others who look at, at the market and who see about you or Zalando or the Bijenkorf to set up uh, a team outside of their core business and outside of the company, say corporate startup? Or would you see innovation take place within uh, the company boundaries and within current structures? Yeah, though that's very complex actually, but um, I would be very carefully uh, when it comes to best practice strategies. That's usually like in consultancy projects, you try to find out what did Zalando, what did about yeah. you, what did Amazon yeah. and try to copy it. So that <laughs> usually never worked out because what about you did in 2012 or Zalando did in like 2008 to grow or to enter market doesn't work anymore. So strategies are really changing rapidly yeah. and the businesses are changing rapidly. The businesses that are um, successful by doing like incremental innovation and I, th- I would say Amazon is such a business it yeah. started with like selling books and then became like a marketplace and then started AWS uh, IT services and now selling it's food. becoming <laughs> and now it's becoming uh, one of the biggest uh, advertising platforms yeah. which is a good thing for Factor A a, a exactly. company you recently acquired um, 
they, they, I would say, they are doing like incremental innovation out of a position of strength. So their existing business model is super valid, is super profitable, but they're taking almost all the money they have and putting it on the next bet. The business models we are seeing, especially in retail, they usually don't act out of a position of strength. They know their market is shrinking. They are not able to attract talent anymore. They are not able to attract like uh, um, the best strategists anymore. And um, they they need they they are forced to innovate. And there, if if you are in such a position, if you are like forced to innovate, if you like if you don't act out of a position of strength. I would be very carefully to put my money uh, in a legacy environment, which yeah. is already lacking innovation, which is already lacking relevance for the customer. Yeah. And I would put the money probably on a on a green field. So, um, and that is actually very, very um, that is actually very, very um, hard to do. And there's no general there's no general rule here um, to that. But um, in an I would say Amazon-driven environment yeah. where we are in right now. I, in most cases, it's better to put your expensive bets outside of the legacy environment, and of course, do I would call it electrification and not digitization. Of course, you need to update your ERP system. Of course, you need to get rid of like old cash systems in the store. Of course, blah blah blah, all this stuff. But this won't help you to find new revenue streams. This won't help you to find like new talent. And there's no real innovation behind it. It's it's only electrification, I would say. <laughs> and most people who are not, on most companies are not acting out of strengths, they saved a lot of money in digitization because they thought that they can uh, still run the linear strategies. They open new stores, they open new markets, they put the new, new brands in their assortments and everything will be fine in the future. And um, I wish I would I, I would be able to tell them, yeah, everything is going to be fine. You can now you can now have like a nicer software and some cultural change and yeah, put, uh, put some kicker in the offices and some club mate and uh, clap together and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, but that is not the case. Actually, if you're looking into very successful digital companies, it's 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 not a nice working environment. Usually, it's it's very 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 hard to digest what is happening there because there's so much change, and actually people are not adapted to change. Big organizations, big organizations actually explain themselves by decreasing risk, so they are able to manage risk, and successful digital companies <laughs> say, okay, we are not able to manage risk. We are we are able to manage chances, and that's a very very different a very different thing. And I, uh, um, uh, if we go back to uh, um, VDN, what was the name? VND. 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 Sorry. If we go back to to VND, uh, uh, what could have been done better or so? Probably they would have needed to start like 15 years ago out of a position of strength, like, but even like five years ago, it, it, it was too late and it would have been the better choice to sell everything uh, who would is interested in like big big boxes or big warehouses and put the money on the Amazon stock. That, that, that is what I see in the market. And and then you mentioned Amazon as, as a big example and, and I'm, I'm a yeah. firm 
believer and fan of Amazon as well. Uh, for the listeners, the non-Dutchies to you, Amazon is not yet active in the Netherlands, but already the number seven e-commerce store. Not, um, not, not with an own domain, not but there's probably a lot of boxes here. Yes, from the, the Amazon.de yeah. uh, yeah. webshop. Um, but the funny thing is, I, I read on your profile, because I've yeah. been zooming in to you as well, uh, learning more about uh, Alexander Graf. Um, and you, you give a lot of lectures and talks on the future of Amazon. And one talk that intrigued me was called the Amazon Dilemma. Yeah. What to you is the dilemma of Amazon? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a tricky question here, William. Um, uh, maybe some listeners uh, know from uh, Game Theory, The Prisoner's Dilemma. Yes. Um, it's a very, very popular uh, um, dilemma um, um, where the Nobel Prize was uh, was given for. And it, explain, it explains actually the um, situation of like two prisoners uh, who... Who get like an offer from the uh, from the uh, prison's director that they can get free when uh, uh, when one uh, would tell the truth and the other is lying. So and, and, and it, it it creates it's very hard to explain in a podcast, but it creates a it creates an environment where it's only lose lose situation for the prisoners. And the Amazon dilemma is that vendors that already have like a big part of their revenue um, relying on the Amazon platform, they can't get out. So those vendors um, are punished more and more by Amazon. You know, Amazon is demanding more and more um, advertising uh, money from them. Though They lose more or less every right. They're becoming, uh, uh, in, 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 in German, there's a, probe, uh, a, a small candle. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> they don't, have a, they don't yeah. have a say anymore. Yeah. And even... As a vendor, even if you're understanding that situation, your dilemma, there's no way out. You can't you can't build a cartel with other with other vendors. You can't you can't push Amazon in a direction that is helping you uh, in the future. The only thing you could do is to be the the, the most clever prisoner. <laughs> and uh, but is that then Amazon's dilemma or the producer's dilemma? No, the producer's dilemma. Okay. Amazon is a prison. Yeah, Amazon is the prison. I, I, I think the learning here for listeners is it, 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 it's good to be the prison owner. Yeah, so yes. If you're able, if, you're able to hey, build a platform. Is, I think in, in strategy books, it's, it, it's called uh, be the marketplace or be the yeah. platform. But yeah. in, in reality, it's be the prison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have to lock in the customer. And, yeah. and, and maybe that's another interpretation where lock-in comes from. <laughs> yeah. Amazon really locked in the customer. Yeah. In, in Germany, it's somewhere between 50 to 70% when for all, um, for all uh, uh, purchase, purchasing customer journeys, they're starting now at Amazon. So if your products Incredible. are not showing up when you're searching for a gardening sprinkler, though you won't be bought as a, as a brand. And that's very, very hard. Uh, that's very hard to manage. And, um, and, and, and I know in this thinking, there's a, the learning here for the companies, it's not only manufacturers and there are other companies involved here, is um, uh, uh, it's very hard to digest. So, um, of course, you have to be the best prisoners. So, otherwise, you, the Amazon is creating the market and, and there's, there's no foreseeable future where Amazon is going to be regulated in a way that's going to be help vendors. On the other side, you need to protect your customer access and that's not be doable by, I would say, lame omnichannel strategies you must be really pushing for like new interfaces new yep. interaction points new digital uh, um, assets because doors are too expensive or too too, uh, too 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 expensive to manage and this leads to 
a very, very innovative situation. And I think that's helping companies like yours uh, um, and us where where customers don't look at IT at the cost center anymore or digital at the cost center anymore, where it's always a, always about, okay, let's 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 buy the next online shop for the cheapest price possible or let's let's buy the next CRM system for the yeah. cheapest price possible. But when they realize, shit, the online shop, the app, the CRM system, my my data warehouse you're helping me to create, that's that's the thing how I differentiate myself uh, 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 from the competition. So yes. maybe... Maybe I shouldn't give it like uh, uh, to to uh, uh, to uh, to the third manager of the IT department. Exactly. I'm letting do. Maybe it's an executive uh, yeah. project, and 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 we are seeing like this thinking is now uh, kicking yeah. in. in the what we see at our clients as well. I, I think if if you look at digital, it's changed from the plate of the CIO to the CMO. And yeah. where in the past uh, the CIO mostly looked at the cost and the pricing yeah. and uh, the purchase department was uh, quickly around the corner. Now we see that digital, especially in e-commerce, is at the plate of the CMO uh, where it is a profit center. Yeah. And where he's using digital and data and, and, and all assets that he's working with to create um, a better customer acquisition strategy and a better customer engagement strategy. And we see that that's now done by digital work, digital agencies, but also um, people they, uh, the company has in their own team working on digital strategies. And we really see a change there in the marketplace. So we've become from a cost center, we've become a profit center. And we're, yeah. um, the funny thing is um, the, the way we work is we don't just deliver a platform, but also think of innovative ways to engage with those customers. So um, we're being approached as a growth partner as well um, yeah. and and that's that's i think um uh, what also is important for for cmos now to realize that um, digital is not just uh, an acquisition of a crm or uh, a data warehouse we have a lot of discussions right now going on on aggregating data and making sure that you can interpret um, um, uh, full customer journey that's only a starting point so if you really want to uh, get out of that prison and if you really want to make sure that you um, be that innovative leader, I think um, brands need to be aware of the way they, their customers are behaving and understand in a better way than others do what the journey looks like and be under the skin of the consumers and understand how each um, different uh, content piece or uh, channel they use or a moment in time where uh, a customer is interested in a brand is working. And if you understand that better than, for example, uh, a marketplace does, then I think you're, you have a chance of survival and of uh, maybe a multi-acquisition uh, <laughs> multi strategy. Uh, both using Amazon for their great asset, which is, uh, yeah, uh, like you said, 50 to 70% of, of, of new customers using Amazon, as well as having a direct-to-consumer strategy in which, for example, loyalty programs can play a, a very important role in having better engagement. Yeah, so, but just to be honest, so um, I see two ways why customers are approaching us. And... Um, or two reasons. So one reason is ambition because like people really want to uh, push new strategies because they really understand like that there's a need in transforming and changing business models. But I would say 
90% of the customers, not only at uh, Spryker, but all the other ventures um, um, I, I hold, I'm, I'm holding shares, 90% are driven by fear. Usually fear created by Amazon, but they have realized, because the market forced them to realize uh, that it's nothing, the, the cost interview is not enough. So do you see it the same here in the Netherlands? Well, luckily, we, we don't have that fear factor yet. Well, actually... It will, the, come. It will, it will come. come. It will come. It will come. I but but it's, it's, it's not as big as in Germany mm. uh, or in the UK or, well, any other market where Amazon is active. So right now, I see um, a lot of brands still um, um, innovating based on their um, best assumptions instead of uh, a fear factor. And I think that's a good thing because that's also what is creating innovation. You mentioned Picnic before. It's, it's, it's a great example of a, of a wonderful company that is disrupting the, the supermarket way of work and, and has developed a completely new way of distributing food to consumers. So yeah. I think um, that, that, that innovative approach of the Dutch is still... Um, present uh, year to date but yeah i think uh, like what happened in germany amazon will uh, <laughs> will, will 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 change a lot yeah. how how did that uh, did that work in germany because um, um how fast did, did this rate of uh, working from your strength to the fear factor uh, become uh, omnipresent how fast yes. i would say um yeah there's like it, it, it looks a little bit different from assortment to assortment. I, yeah. Right now, we are seeing more and more bankruptcy in, in retail, uh, especially okay. brick-and-mortar companies. Yeah. Uh, I think today is a day when Amazon first hit like $2,000 mark. And Zara, like the, the Inditex uh, holding, which is like the poster child of every vertical integrated yeah. uh, fashion company, uh, got like a big hit uh, from analysts and uh, losing a lot of value. Wow. I think the Zara owner today lost like five billion in, uh, in revenue. So it starts. It, it, it's only starting now. I think uh, uh, we are in Germany, especially um, in a situation where Amazon grew in the last two years in a in a way uh, uh, that is un, that was unbelievable. Um, I, I actually did some analysis uh, before our show. So globally, they are growing 150 million dollar per day compared to last year in germany that means 15 euro per day and if you compare it with ambitions of some of multi-billion dollar customers saying okay in 2025 i plan to have uh, 50 million online revenue that's something amazon is doing like just in growth just in growth in uh, in, uh, in in like uh, seven hours um, and in total, it's doing 50 million in, in less than one hour. So uh, it's uh, th that's kind of the momentum we are there. I think within the last two years, it changed a lot uh, because all the linear strategy and from my point of view, most omnichannel strategies have proven to be not good enough to get uh, customers back or to be profitable enough. Uh, but I think there are like new businesses coming out and it creates lots of entrepreneurial momentum. And a Picnic is a very good example. I interviewed the Picnic founder from my cousinsonne.de podcast, um, the German Picnic founder, last week. And I hope uh, we get one of the founders here for our WimLabx podcast uh, uh, very soon. I'm very hopeful that it's going to work out. Uh, so... It's hard to say. I think it, it, it's just starting. And, and that's, that's why I'm so excited to have a show with you uh, because it's very good to compare the momentum of, uh, of the markets um, I agree. to learn from, uh, from, yeah. each other, from each other. Maybe uh, um, uh, uh, before we are like 
telling everything uh, what is really exciting in the first show. Uh, 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 what are the questions you will ask our future guests in the podcast? Yeah, so uh, for, for me, um, as I said before, I'm, I'm a data guy. My father and grandfather were both math teachers. So I'm, ah. I'm, I'm really interested in numbers. <laughs> and uh, for me, that's, that's, that's interesting to learn from our guests as well. So we have uh, Ben Waldring uh, coming uh, in uh, today. Yeah. We will be interviewing him. And Ben Waldring, the youngest founder of, uh, of a company here in the Netherlands, um, he, he, he's, he, he started many different affiliate models. That, that is still his brand? That is still one of his assets. And actually, um, he, he was part of the team who inaugurated our King Wim Lex here in the Netherlands. So, oh, yeah? Yeah, on the, I think it was King's Day um, a couple of years ago. Oh, so. maybe you. That's a, good, that's a good point in the podcast where you can explain where the Wim Lex show name comes from. <laughs> actually, obviously, uh, your name is Alexander and my name is Willem. And our, uh, that's the, the name of our king. And usually the name of our king is, uh, is, 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 I don't know the English correct word for this. I think it's abbreviated, but it's, it's shortened into Wimlex. So yeah. that's uh, the twist that we gave And he has a German father. And he has a German father, yes. Yeah, it's, 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 so it's, the, the German-Dutch connection is there as well. There's actually no alternative to the Wimlex show name. I it agree. was clear from the very first... It was first, clear uh, from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, so, and, and, and I would love to ask our guests on their view on data, yeah. on how they're using data to make future decisions, make current decisions, uh, are aggregating data from different resources, from sales, from marketing, from finance. I'm really curious to learn about that. And... Um, yeah, Ben will be the, 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 the kickoff for our show. So uh, happy to learn how Bella.com and, and the other ventures looking for booking are using data to, uh, to grow his business. Yeah. So my questions are more like e-commerce related uh, because I, I was, as you, uh, uh, introduced in the e-commerce market, pretty much influenced by online marketing strategies. So I'd like to know uh, uh, where do the customers come from and what do they cost? Like the fur that is like a very, very... SEA specific uh, <laughs> cool. question: uh, um, um, How loyal they are? Very important question for most retail uh, business models. And uh, um, how profitable is a business? Because I'm learning that most businesses are now um, setting up um, revenue streams that don't rely on retail anymore, but on data, for example, or on marketing, uh, on marketing uh, um, um, services. It's not only Ben we are uh, getting as a guest today; it's also Willem uh, Castello the founder of a very, very interesting venture uh, um, selling windows with a solar cell integration for offices. Very cool. Uh, and uh, uh, tomorrow we have uh, two guests on the Depth Festival. Uh, you know them better. I think it's yes. Josh, Josh and Jason. We have Josh Luber. He's the founder of StockX. It's a really cool company. Um, he actually was a data guy as well, and he was assessing um, the uh, cost uh, of buying and selling a second-hand a pair of sneakers cool then he met the founder of the cleveland cavaliers the owner of a big u.s nba team yeah. uh, who had exactly the same idea to uh, set up a marketplace um, well it's actually a trading place where supply and demand prices are based on uh, the average volume that's being sold so it's like a stock index on yeah. uh, on, on on sneakers and he's actually uh, going to uh, be interviewed on uh, on his StockX uh, company. Yeah. And then also Jordan Watson. Jordan Watson is a very uh, cool influencer. He's a dad and he made videos called How to Dad on his uh, now three daughters. So he's, uh, he's, he's an expert on video marketing, on influencer marketing. He has, I think, two million views on YouTube. 
with every video that he's produced. He's a best-selling uh, author as well. So uh, we're both uh, fathers, so we can learn th something from him. Yeah, and maybe, <laughs> maybe that's important to understand for our listeners. So we are also recording uh, our, our podcasting sessions uh, uh, with the camera, so you can watch them on, uh, on YouTube, on the Wimlex. Uh, no, there's no Wimlex channel. I think we have decided to put the videos on the Depp channel and the Spiker channel. Yes. So just, uh, 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 we, will tell, we will tell the marketing leads later, so, but we need to we put them there on, and on Facebook. And I think one important thing and that I learned from, that's, I learned from the from the German podcasting show is that um, uh, we really really depend on the uh, interaction with our with our listeners. So whenever they have ideas of who we should interview, whenever they have a deep dive question on uh, um, on existing podcasts, uh, uh, they can send uh, they can send an email to us. We are going to setting up an email address uh, where they can send us uh, um, information which are we both are receiving and, and answering uh, but uh, um, I'm pretty sure it's not only today and tomorrow uh, for our Amsterdam show there's going to be more shows in Amsterdam probably Berlin and Stockholm and other cities where we are hosting guests uh, which have like a connection to retail and manufacturing and selling online and we ask them question how they're going to survive in an Amazon world so Willem Lots of thanks like, for like the first podcasting show uh, here. It's getting louder outside, so we need to close the first... There's a uh, football the, game co yeah, going on. Yeah, it on. sounds like a football game uh, that we should <laughs> join in, and, and then we should prepare for Ben. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Alexander. <laughs>